And here we go. Cue the really cute music that introduces podcasts. Um, we don't have any of that, but we are here together and we're glad to uh, to be recording another podcast, Life Path Family and anyone listening in. There's not just one of us or two of us. There's three of us. We've got the whole gang here. So I am not alone. Woohoo! We've got Sabrina. That would be me. We've also, Hi. We've also got who else? And I'm here too, as always, Dwayne. <laughs> and so we've got our full pastoral team uh, together uh, spread out. Sabrina's calling in from Florida. Dwayne's in his home and I'm in mine. And uh, so the reason that we're doing these podcasts is to help us dive in a little bit deeper to the scriptures uh, when we are apart because we're using our Sunday digital gatherings for as much uh, engagement as possible because of a number of reasons. So we thought that we'd kind of outsource the teaching time and, uh, and do it in some fun podcast styles. And we're in the middle of this conversation about ways that Jesus is the way. Having a little fun with words there. Jesus proclaimed himself to be the way, the truth, and the life. And so the early church was called followers of the way. So there's this whole idea that uh, throughout the New Testament, that Jesus is is the way, and that's really sometimes been defined real narrowly, right? And so, Dwayne, you kind of led a conversation for us just uh, two weeks ago, was it, on on the idea that people often think about Jesus being the way, kind of the the way to heaven or for forgiveness of sins, right? Yeah, right. So that was our our first week conversation was was all about that idea that when we think about the gospel, oftentimes the first thing that jumps to our mind is, oh, well, Jesus is the way to be forgiven of my sin, and that's what I need because that's my ticket to heaven, right? Those of us, anyway, yeah. who grew up sort of in a more evangelical setting, we think of it that way. And yeah, so the first week we sort of blew that up and and sort of thought about all the different ways that, that um, salvation is talked about or atonement or Jesus' redemptive work on the cross, uh, his, his life, his death, his resurrection, and there's just such a rich tapestry of of meaning there. Um, and, and all of it still serves the purpose of, of reconnecting us with God. But, um, but yeah, it's a lot richer and deeper than, than we, than we typically give, give, uh, credit for. Great. And then last week we started talking about the second way that Jesus is the way, not just the way that we, uh, are rescued from the power of sin, but the way that we experience God's love that, that, Jesus has come to show us and reveal to us how much God loves us in that self-giving agape kind of love. And, and he examples that, and he also reveals that in all these different ways. So we talked about that last week. So this week, I want to keep us on our time because we're going to have some fun here in just a minute. But this week, we are going to the third one, and I'm not going to reveal it yet because, Sabrina and Duane, I have a question for you. And the question is, if you could summarize everything you know about what Jesus said in the Gospels in just a couple words, what might you say? What, what was the key phrase or concept that, that might pop up? Follow me. Yes. Does that count? It was that's two a pretty words. popular I'm, one. That's a pretty, pretty good one. No, that's that's succinct. Yeah, gee, I think Not you took easy. mine. You took mine. Yeah. <laughs> uh... And and we see Jesus extending that invitation to follow me. That's 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 a good one. It's going to be hard to beat. Can you beat it, Dwayne? Yeah. No, I don't think I can. Um, I, you know, if we're if we're going to go with really short and succinct uh, phrases, I think um, 
you know, the idea summing up all of Jesus' teachings would be when somebody asked him to do that, his answer was love God and mm. love others. Yes. Right? I mean, that's his words right. for if, if you want to summarize his teaching. Um, yeah. So I think love is certainly at the heart of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's and and some might respond with "do unto others if you as you would have them do to you," right? The golden rule. Yeah. Um, so I, I would also say, think, oh, oh, sorry, go, go ahead. ahead. No, do I get two? I don't know. You do. You can. You can have a. Second <laughs> you got. One. You guys had two whole podcasts before me, so I'm going to go with two on the <laughs> intro question. Um, no, I also think that uh, there's a lot of you have heard it said, but I say. So somehow mm. like expanding. Yeah. There's like um, a redefining. Redefining, good word. Yes, that's great. So so I believe uh, without question that all of these are, are true. In fact, I think, um, however, I think they could all fall under one larger category. And it's not going to be a surprise to either of you because I told you you weren't actually allowed to mention this when I asked you the question. <laughs> but uh, Jesus specifically kind of tells us what the big idea is in the Gospels with a certain type of language that he uses. And in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the first public words of Jesus are the same. Really interesting when you see that kind of crossover. And what he says is repent means turn turn to something new for the kingdom of God has arrived. The idea of kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven that phrase is used synonymously but, uh, through the Gospels. In Matthew alone, 95 times Jesus mm. talks about the kingdom. 95 wow. times. And so, so the interesting thing is that we're not always sure what to do with this because a kingdom is not a social reality in our world right now. I mean, it is if you read the whatever, the tabloids or who, who follows the or covers the queen and her her yeah all the the british tabloids yeah right and someone just said that they weren't they weren't having it anymore right one of the princes so he wants his own life he doesn't want to be Mm -hmm. a part of the monarchy prince harry i i'm not saying why i know that but prince harry is so done (laughs) prince harry has had it so even the king follows the royals he loves that stuff They're just all all the kingdoms are falling apart in the world. So right. so you know we don't frequently have a concept of what it means to be in a kingdom. So we've got this archaic language that Jesus is really fixed upon, uh, and and we often aren't quite sure what to do with that. So when we think of kingdom, sometimes we'll think of like a a space, um, you know, the kingdom of the the United Kingdom, right? So so it's it's this island right off of the Atlantic Ocean. But, but in the Bible, when the word kingdom is spoken of, uh, in, in the English language, kingdom would often mean a space, a place, right? But in the Bible, it's, it's an action. So, so the kingdom of God, according to Jesus, would be the, the rule and the reigning of God in a certain place or in a certain reality. So, so to say the kingdom of God is not to say, like, you can draw a circle on the map of it. It's to say the ruling and the reigning not R-A-I-N, but R-E-I-G-N, the reign of God. Uh, it's the activity of the king leading people, reigning over people, not simply the place. Like, like boredom, right? It's the state of being. Boredom, fiefdom, freedom, it all comes yeah. from the same. That dom is, is a state of being, so it's a root. 
so if I'm experiencing freedom, right, which <laughs> many of us are feeling a, a supreme lack wrong, of wrong freedom. choice right now. That's the wrong example right now, Keith. Let's, bad example, bad example. Boredom might be good. Uh, boredom. boredom. We're going to stick with boredom. Okay. <laughs> the state of being bored. So a kingdom is a state of being under a king. Does that make sense? Yeah, I have a, I have a question though. So yeah. so the the Gospel of Matthew, you said mm-hmm. it, it's mentioned ninety some odd times in there, right? Yeah. Okay. So the Gospel of Matthew, primarily written to a Jewish audience, is what we know from scholarship, right? right? So his Matthew is writing, thinking, okay, these are Jews that are reading this. Jews Jews have a long history of longing for the kingdom. Because yes. because the kingdom was something that was given to them at one time and then was taken away. Now, the question that pops yeah. into my mind is, are they differentiating when they're hearing Jesus' words? Are they differentiating between the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of God? Are they expecting the kingdom of Israel to come back into power? And then Jesus comes along and says, hey, hey, it's bigger than that. Or, or are they sort of synonymous for them too? Yeah, well, I think it's a, it's a both and. So the original plan for Israel was that God would be their king. Right, but but if you read the Old Testament and follow along, you'll find that what they said was, "Well, we kind of want to be like all the cool kids, right. all the exactly. cool nations, yeah. and they all have kings." So, in other words, we don't know how to function without a human leader, God. So, will you, you know, we need a king, and God, the phrase that I use, you know, God's size gives in and works with it. This <laughs> right, is yeah. Frequently, what happens in the in the scriptures, and so we get this this. God gives them a king. Okay. But really the ultimate goal is that I will be your king. You know, there's passages in Isaiah that says one day God will be the king of Israel and that kingdom will know no end is, is what it's spoken of. So the people of Israel, while they did live in a kingdom, their, their understanding of the kingdom was very political because their kingdom had been destroyed. So at the time of Jesus, we've got this Roman world where there is no kingdom of Israel at all. It's just a bunch of people that right. are that are oppressed. And so so there was always a vision of the kingdom being restored. But right. by the time of Jesus, it had become uh, the, the concepts had become joined. So the kingdom of God coming looked like a reassertion of God's kingdom of Israel being restored. So I would suggest that the scriptures themselves pointed toward an ultimate reality of God ruling and reigning over the earth, but at the time of Jesus, what people really wanted was they wanted a revolution and they wanted a political revolution. So sure. the kingdom of God, the kingdom language was put through that lens and it became this, this glimpse of, oh, we need someone to come and lead us in freedom from the Romans and that will establish God's kingdom. So we might look at it and say it's a pretty myopic view. From from our from our perspective now, we say, well, that was God was up to something much much bigger. But yeah, so so the Jewish people they had all this language around the kingdom, and even the one they even had language around the idea that someone would be coming to bring that kingdom, a Messiah, a chosen one who would be God's representative to restore that kingdom. Isaiah's got language like crazy through it. Most of the the prophets do. But uh, but this idea of ruling and reigning of God's God's rule and reign, the first time that 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 concept comes up is actually in Genesis uh, on your first page of your Bible. So so the idea of of God reigning and how God reigns, which is a really interesting point, is from the first page to the last page of the Bible. So probably the second page, um, depending on the font size of your Bible. But in, in Genesis two twenty eight. Um, God tells people that he's created 
that they are to rule and reign over all that is living on the earth it, on his behalf, okay? So, so God's establishing this, but partnering with people, okay? And then on the last page in Revelation 21, we get this image of the ultimate vision of a future that says, look, God's dwelling place is now among people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them, leading them. Okay, so, so we do have this image that the ultimate vision of the earth is one where God is ruling and reigning and where people are involved in what that looks like. And ruling and reigning meaning that the heart of what God wants to, the world to be is being enacted. So when Jesus comes onto the scene and says, the kingdom of God is here, it is at hand, it has arrived, that's a huge declaration. And so, so that's, that's why we need to talk about Jesus' role in bringing this kingdom. Um, so, so I'm about to throw it to you guys because Jesus has a unique role in shaping how we see God's kingdom for, for two reasons. Number one, he proclaims that it's at hand, like I just said. So, that's, so, so there's something that Jesus is saying is, about, is shifting with him coming. The kingdom is here. The kingdom apparently wasn't there in fullness. But it was somehow after the arrival of Jesus, it was present in a new way. Okay. And then the second thing is that Jesus himself, by kind of claiming unity, I mean, real unity with God, oneness with God, when he does that, he's kind of taking the role of like the king of the kingdom, right? So Jesus isn't just saying the kingdom of God's here. He's saying, hey, the, the king has kind of arrived. And you might want to parse words and say, well, he kind of talks about my father's kingdom and stuff. But look really, really closely. Jesus, Jesus welcomes the acknowledgement that he is the king of this kingdom. And that's really, really significant. So what he does, this is where it gets cool, what he does and says is what the king is doing and saying. So it shows us what's the nature of this kingdom? Let's take a look. So, uh, so in light of all of that, we can figure out the, what God's kingdom is like and eventually why that's such good news, that Jesus is the way that we understand how God desires to run and rule and reign in our world. So, so in light of that, here's the question. From, from your perspective, how does Jesus offer a surprising view of God's kingdom? Maybe that redefines it for people or clarifies it for people. Um, how, does, how does Jesus show us the kingdom in a way that changes us? Who wants to hop in first? Well, Keith, I really like the way you express that, that, that the kingdom... Um, enacts the heart of God, that it enacts the heart of the king. And like we think about even now when we elect leaders, we elect them on a platform and we see the things that are near and dear to their hearts. And, you know, what are the, what are the causes that they're going to, um, to be champions for and this kind of stuff. And um, so I'm just always struck by a, a contrast in how I originally understood Matthew 6, 33, which is seek first the kingdom of God, you know, and his righteousness and all these other things, the what are we going to eat? What are we going to wear? How's my life going to work out? All those things will get, will get added. So growing up, I always thought of that. And I often heard it taught that that was about, you know, you, you put God things first, you make sure you read your Bible and you pray and you, you do all the right stuff, you know, and if you're doing that, then you're living in the kingdom and you'll be provided for. It'll be cool. Mm -hmm. Um, but I feel like Jesus really brought this, this tremendous twist on that because up until this time, 
um, Israel was distinct from other nations primarily in the things that they did not do or did not participate in. Um, you know, they were set apart mainly because they had dietary laws that made them look very different from everybody else. You know, there are all these things that, um, that they think of as, well, we don't engage in that. That's the way the pagans or that's the, what, and it's, it's not like a that kingdom it, of restriction. Yeah. Yeah. In a lot of ways it was, and those were, they were good restrictions. They were important restrictions. That's a whole other series of podcasts, but Jesus was coming and he was, he was presenting this not as um, restriction, but as freedom. And he was saying that there would be freedom to enact the heart of God in life. And that's unlimited potential. That's, that's hmm. exciting and huge. And it's, it's like, um, when I was thinking about this for today, I was thinking, you know, I, I live in a country that is not a restrictive, oppressive, communist country, whatever, that, that's, that has me afraid to leave my house. I can walk around all day making sure that I'm obeying the laws so that I don't get arrested because I want to, to preserve my freedom. But the point is to celebrate that freedom and mm. to be an entrepreneur if I want to be an entrepreneur and to choose who I'm going to marry and to live where I want to live and to start some wonderful creative endeavor. And if it doesn't work out, that's okay. Fail and try again. And those are the things that are exciting about the freedom that comes. There's, mm. there's, there's this maximum potential there. And so all of those times that God, that Jesus said, you've heard it said, but I tell you, he wasn't really narrowing things. He was making them bigger and broader. You know, he was saying like, guys, there is so much life available to you that you have not had a clue about. And this is the heart of the king. The heart of the king is, is to have you living life fully and abundantly. And it, it, it would be an exciting and expansive rather than a frightening and restrictive king. I love that image, Sabrina. Yeah, I too. love the idea of not living in fear of losing your freedom but instead sort of doubling down on how to live in that freedom. Right. I mean, yeah. to me, that is, that is really beautiful. It, it reminds me of, um, was it Dallas Willard who talks about the gospel of sin management? I mean, yeah. oftentimes we reduce the gospel to, uh, okay, what are the things that I can't do? Cause if I do those things, then I'm in trouble. Right. Rather than thinking, okay, the gospel is about showing me the ways to live in greater freedom and with greater, life right. abundance right. right yeah that's just that's a it's sort of flipping it but i love that oh well, there's yeah there's such beauty to this concept sabrina of of saying that instead of like hey you better seek the kingdom first you know cuz that's what you're supposed to do that's the right way to be christian right all and it's it's this idea that actually if your heart is set on the things of god you can go in any direction that you want you know, you don't, your Christian faith doesn't have to look like everybody else's. You can do that. You can be called to care for the poor over here, or you can be called to, um, to be a teacher in this way, or you can, like, there's just so much joy and beauty of the release of something like that. And, and I think these days we, we fall into the same traps that maybe they did originally hearing, hearing these commandments and and yeah. jesus saying listen i there's that other element of like you're going to have enough strength to do these things too because right. that seek first comes right at the end of all of the tough teachings of the sermon on the mount right, right. and so he's saying don't worry you're going to have if, if if you're seeking the kingdom you'll you'll be able to journey and faithfully follow me um, right, right. To, yeah to me it's the idea that 
you know, when he says seek first the kingdom, it's not a separation. It's not saying, okay, seek the kingdom things first. And then the things that are not of the kingdom, will give you those too. It's almost right. like he's saying, when you seek the kingdom, everything in your life falls uh-huh. under that category, right? Oh, that's exactly. good. When yeah. you exactly. seek the kingdom, everything falls into place. Everything lines up because the kingdom is what makes it all make sense. Right. Mm. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, that's, that's, that's great stuff. I was actually just talking with, uh, for those of you who know Matt Sinarski, I was talking with him earlier on the phone this week or today even. And, uh, and we were talking about how in, in Christ, like our freedom isn't being taken away right now. When we're, when we're asked by our local officials to stay home and, you know, and, and not spread coronavirus, like in, in Christ, we, we can look at that and say, cause, cause it really, a lot of Americans are like, you can't take away my freedom. Yeah. But but for us, none of our freedom's been restricted. Uh, our, the freedom is that we get to choose how we respond to this and how we love. And and God's given us that ability that even in the midst of whatever physical location we have to be in, we we have the freedom to be able to 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 love without limit um, yeah. in whatever ways we want. And boy, that, there's such beauty there. So so Christians, we should not be thinking right now that we're that we're slaves. You know, we still have all the freedom that we've always had. Um, it's just, uh, yeah, we use it on behalf of, of being able to love other people. So, yeah, beautiful, cool. cool. All right, uh, Dwayne. So, what what strikes you that's unique or surprising about how Jesus reveals the kingdom? Yeah, I, I think uh, it kind of goes back to to what you were saying about. I mean, this idea of kingdom of rule and reign kind of was always in place, but but the thing that that strikes me about Jesus is his invitation to be part of it. Right. So the the, the verse I'm thinking of is um, he's talking to Peter. And he asks Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Messiah, the chosen one. And all of a sudden, okay, boom, here it is. This is kingdom talk, right? You're the Messiah. Peter gets it. Jesus says, yes, you get it. I'm now going to call you Peter. His name was Simon, but he says, I'm going to call you Peter because that means rock. And on this Peter, on this rock, I'm going to build my church. And then he he says this. He says, and I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. And Mm. I think about that idea of being- Matthew Matthew 16. Yeah, Matthew 16. And, And I think about that image of giving- being given the keys, right? I think we've always interpreted that. You know, I always used to wonder where the image of of Peter standing at the pearly gates comes from. And I think this must be it. It must be that people interpreted this. That you're right. Yeah, that people have interpreted this. Well, Peter has the keys, right? So he's the gatekeeper. He's the one standing at the gate. All those jokes. At the beginning right of here. all those jokes, right? Yeah. So, you know, two men walk up to Peter standing at the pearly gate, right? And one of them says, hey, you missed the point. That's not it. <laughs> the point is not, is not that Peter is guarding the kingdom. The point is that Jesus is giving access. He's granting access, right? So like, you know, if Sabrina, if you handed me the keys to your condo in Florida, I'd be like, awesome. That's an invitation for me to go down Absolutely. and use your window, right? That's yeah. what that means, right? If I give right. my keys, if I give my keys to my car to somebody, that's not, hey, protect these keys so nobody steals my car. That's, hey, you can use my car if you need it. That's giving somebody keys yeah. is about granting access. So to me, yeah, it's not about locking someone out. Right. right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So that that to me is what is surprising and beautiful about this. It's not that, hey, God is doing something. It's that Jesus is saying, join me, follow me. We are going to build this kingdom. You, I'm giving you the keys so you have access and you can actually be part of building it, right? So I love that. I love that idea. Um, well, and then, of course, to me, the, the the twofold goal of the kingdom work is is about how we bring everything under the rule and reign of Christ. We begin with ourselves. I want to bring my own heart under the rule and reign 
of Christ through discipleship. And then I want to bring the rest of the world under the rule and reign of Christ through my kingdom work and in, in, in the ways that I flesh that out. So, yeah. And I, I, I love, I want to go back to that statement because uh, one of the coolest things about that access, that the, the concept of, of being given access to God's kingdom kind of has this, this idea of all that the kingdom holds too is ours, right? Jesus says to his disciples, you know, all that God the Father's given me, mm-hmm. I've given to you. But, but who it's given to and what happens next is one of my favorite parts of the whole Bible, right? He says, Peter, I'm giving you access. I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom. And then how many, how many minutes later? Yeah, it's like three verses later. Jesus <laughs> talks to Peter. You know where I'm going with this. Yeah, right? yeah. The phrase, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> right. right? And so Peter, who is this just just kind of ridiculous figure in the scriptures that never gets it right, that is passionate, but really, really selfish as well and, and screws up all the time. He's given access. How great is that? Yeah. That, that, you know, Jesus said, I'm giving you the keys of the kingdom. And then later on, like, Peter, you doofus. Come on, man. <laughs> like, like You're being controlled by Satan right now with this attitude. So I love that those are the types of people that are given yeah. the access to this kingdom. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, anybody who recognizes who Jesus is yep. is being given access to the kingdom. Yes, yes. That, that's so amazing, you yeah. guys. Oh. It's about the and, state and, and the and desire of heart. So, but here's the other piece of that, though. It's not just access, right? It's use. Like I, like the, going back to the house <laughs> I- illustration, right? Or you know, it, it's not just access to to your house. It's like you know, it's not like part ownership. It's it's that you know, come in, use it. Use it. Come down here. Live in it, right? If I give you my car keys, use my car. Take it. Yeah. Do what you need to with it. So to me, that's the key, right? Yeah, it's invitation and it's access, but it's an invitation to work. It's invitation to actually put in effort. And you see it throughout the Gospels. Jesus sends out his disciples to go do the work. He he gives his disciples the authority uh, and the power to to do things we don't necessarily do today, but but to cast out demons, right? But he gives them, he sends them with authority and power to go and do the things that previously only God was doing. That to me is mm. what's beautiful. Jesus says the yeah. kingdom of God is at hand. Here are the keys. We're working together. We all have a job to do. That to me is the beautiful part of it. That's great. Hmm. That's good stuff. Thanks. So, so when I'm thinking about this, I want to add one more element and, uh, and then we're going to wrap up because we want to try to keep it tight. But man, what a conversation. It's hard to have a great conversation with the two of you in a half hour. <laughs> um, but one of the interesting things that Jesus shows me about the kingdom, and it's probably going to sound off-putting here originally, I think that Jesus disappoints our expectations of what power looks like in God's kingdom. And the, the reason that I say that is, Jesus teaches us that the most powerful force in the world often looks powerless. Uh, in t- so, so Sunday, which will be, I think um, we're releasing this on Monday morning. So yesterday uh, was Palm Sunday. All right. And so the story around Palm Sunday that, that we tell is the story of Jesus entering Jerusalem at the beginning of Holy Week. And of course, he enters Jerusalem on a donkey. And, and that in itself fulfills a, a, a scripture but the point of, of Jesus coming in on a donkey is, the, the significant point is that at this exact same time, Jesus is received like a king. People wave palm branches when Jesus comes in. And that's a reference to what we talked about earlier with the expectation of what God's kingdom was going to be like, 
where 200 years before this time, this guy named Judas Maccabeus led a revolution that for a temporary, for a small amount of time, he overthrew the government and the Jewish people kind of had their independence for a bit. And then they just got crushed. But he was a really intense guy. His nickname was the Hammer. And uh, when, when the revolution came, everybody celebrated by breaking palm branches off and waving them. It even became a part of their currency. So we have coins, old Jewish coins that have a stamp of that palm branch. And so when they wave palm branches, people are thinking, yes, Jesus is going to be leading this political revolution. He's going to be our new Judas Maccabeus. He's going to be our new hammer. Um, That is compounded by the fact that at the beginning of Passover week, Pilate, with his government, had a huge show, um, a big uh, parade on the other side of town where he would come in with his full military on a war horse in order to remind the Jewish people that they better keep their peace during this week. If there's any uprising, we will crush you. It was a show of military might. So Jesus comes in on a donkey, on a processional, in opposite direction as Pilate with all of his power. And, and it's ridiculous because uh, the, the point is that everybody thinks that what Jesus is going to do is he's going to bring the kingdom by force and by power. And instead he stops at Jerusalem's gates and he starts weeping. The king weeps because his people don't know what makes for peace. And, and the point there is that when Jesus comes in, he actually receives the, 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 um, the title of king, but he enacts the kingdom in a completely different way. So the king suffers on behalf of his subjects instead of rules over them with authority. And that's where Jesus earns his title as king, even all the way up to the cross. And so, mm-hmm. so you know, the, the interesting thing is that this king and this kingdom is so upside down because it's founded based on the power of weakness, of not lording anything over anyone. God's kingdom is about serving from the ground up and laying your life down, like we talked about last week with the nature of love. And so so I am shocked constantly and challenged by the fact that this kingdom of God is, is a kingdom that is made known through Jesus entering Jerusalem on a donkey instead of a war horse and choosing not to resist evil with evil, but to overcome evil with good, and proclaiming that the kingdom of God is designed for the meek, for the peacemakers, for those who are suffering, for those who have no voice and no power, for the oppressed, for the poor. And, uh, and boy, that, that is a different king than the world had ever seen. And certainly than than Israel had ever seen or expected, even though in retrospect, it says later, <laughs> the disciples in, in John's telling of, of this, this story of Jesus coming in, it said later, they didn't understand it at the time, but later they looked back and they saw it through the scriptures. They saw that this was going to be the nature of the kingdom. There was never a promise that, that the, the Messiah would come and bring the kingdom by, by military force. Uh, and so I think that's interesting because don't we feel powerless <laughs> these days right oh yeah and how yeah we feel like we can do so so little but the question is in the kingdom of god is that true and i think the the scriptural witness is a resounding no no we are not powerless by any stretch in the kingdom of god right now um maybe it's in these insignificant moments that that god's people that the body of christ actually gets to change the world because the kingdom grows right 
all these images that Jesus gives in Matthew, the kingdom grows like a tiny mustard seed, you know, that spreads like wildfire from one person to another. So, yeah. so, so that leads us to kind of the final minute or two, which is simply what's, what's the good news? What we're talking about is the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus has come, right? And gospel means good news. So, so what's the good news about the fact that Jesus has come to reveal the kingdom of God? What, what's so good? Um, I, yeah, what are, your, what are your thoughts? I've got a couple here, but I didn't prep you guys on, on that question. So does anything come up with why, why we should hold and see this as such good news? Well, I love the fact that powerlessness, while we hate it on the one hand, also relieves us from responsibility that we aren't equipped to handle. Um, so I've been watching, you know, the news like everybody has, and I, and I see various high level medical people who know all kinds of stuff that I don't know, who are having to make incredibly difficult decisions about how hospitals are going to be run or how equipment is going to get to here, there and everywhere. And, and I am, I am thankful that I'm not having to make those decisions because I'm not equipped to, to do that with any confidence. And there's so many things um, about running my own life and about my place in the world and about my part in, in other people's lives where I would become, if I stopped to really recognize the weight of responsibility resting on my shoulders all the time, how much power there is in my words to somebody, how much, um, my, my slip of irritation or whatever might, might actually matter in some huge sense that, that I don't predict, you know, that level of responsibility simply for life apart from the spirit of God is a scary thing and a paralyzing mm. thing. And we so value our autonomy. And the truth is that in moments where we're overwhelmed by something that we recognize is bigger than we are, we are grateful when there are stronger, wiser, um, powers at work. And to know that the strongest, wisest power possible the creator of the universe, the redeemer of all people says, my spirit's going to guide you in enacting the kingdom of God. You don't have to figure this out, Sabrina. You don't have to get every bit of it right because I'm going to work in you and I'm going to work through you and out to other people. Um, mm. That that not aloneness is huge for me. Yeah, that, and that, that hits back to the idea of freedom as well, that it brings great freedom mm -hmm. to know that we are being called to be partners in the kingdom, but it's not our kingdom. Right. You know, we, like, right. like we are, we are co-workers, but definitely not the boss. And that's yeah. beautiful. It, yeah. It, it's freeing. Yeah. Yeah. I, to me, I just, um, the overwhelming good news in this is that God is at work and he always has been. And, um, we, we forget, right. We, we, we forget what the gospel meant and what it has done over the last 2000 years, just in the fact that we are talking about a healthcare crisis right now at this moment, uh, hospitals were invented by followers of Jesus. There is historically no way to argue that against that, right? Hospitals were invented by followers of Jesus because they had a compulsion to take care of the people who were sick and dying when nobody else in the world did that. And so to me, 
a hospital in and of itself, even if the people working in the hospital are not following Jesus today necessarily, I'm going to claim that. I'm going to sanctify that and say, that's Mm. the work of God, folks. That's the work of the gospel in creating places where sick people can come and be healed. So God is at work. Every time you get an out, you know, a bulletin from the CDC, that's the gospel that has worked through the last 2000 years to put it on people's hearts, to heal the sick right? That's the kind of stuff that we forget. And we're like, oh, where are the Christians? Well, the Christians made so much of this possible, right? Right. So so to me, it's just zooming out and remembering the big picture that the gospel over the last 2000 years has made the world more free. It has made the world more educated. It has made the world more healthy. It has done all of these amazing things. And yes, there's failures. And yes, a lot of that is, is taken over by corrupt and broken governments. And yes, there's problems. But, but the heart of all of it, it's like you said last week, Keith, when you're talking about love, God is love. Love is God. So when we see yeah. love, that's God. When we see healing, when we see wholeness, when we see broken things being made whole again, that's the gospel. We're getting that's a glimpse of, news. of yeah. God's heart in the world Absolutely. and the world and, and the remaking yeah. of the world that will, of course, I that will last forever. That's an important thing. We're not going to get into all of the eschatology, which means just future talking about God's future. Um, But we can't get into all of that today, but it is important to know that when Jesus talks about the kingdom, it is what we call a present and future reality. So it's God, God breaking into the world in a new way in, but it'll expand and continue forever. So, so this is a glimpse of what, what God's heart ultimately is. So you're talking about the hospitals, right? The, uh, Christians working to care for the body in the midst of sickness is a glimpse at a world in the ultimate coming of God's kingdom where there will be no sickness right. or disease. And right. so we get to be a glimpse of that in as we enact God's kingdom today in our own lives, in the lives. So every time that we work for peace, every time that we forgive, every time that we are healers in the world, every time that we overcome evil with good, we are partnering in God's kingdom. And yeah. it goes forever. And what a beautiful view of of the ultimate vision of the scriptures that is. And I would say that is exactly what the the um, message of the scriptures is: the ultimate unfolding of God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Yeah. And eventually, those two will be combined. <laughs> and Jesus is the linchpin in leading us there through His work, but also through His example. So. Whew. That's good stuff, friends. Yeah, um, sorry. I forgot we were podcasting and I started preaching there for a minute. So <laughs> my apologies. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> oh, this is this is good. This is part of it's is- part of it's because I'm standing up. I've been sitting down yeah. so much in, in a weird, like not real, not real office because of all this virus stuff. I have to work at home. So I decided I'm gonna podcast standing up, but it means that I'm I'm feeling a little preachy today. So into preacher well, I, mode. All good. I have I have a blue a blue uh plaid flannel shirt on, but I have red plaid uh, PJs on on for my pants. So that is a I beautiful know. image. <laughs> we're just very glad that Keith is wearing pants. That's, that's yeah. That's you awesome. know, we're making some progress here over the course <laughs> of these right. couple of weeks. That's right. All right. Well, with that image, uh, somehow we should get us back to Jesus. And uh, here and we go. Say, I got a way to get us back to Jesus. So one of the awesome things people. about the good news and everything we've been talking about is that we who are powerless in so many things right now have an amazing ability to enact the heart of God in praying for our leaders in praying for healers in praying for people who are having to make decisions about 
how to interact with their family in light of what their role is in the world and all these kinds of things. Those of us who aren't having to mm. make those moment to moment decisions that feel so weighty, we, we get called by Jesus to, to be like stand in the gappers for that, you know, to, mm -hmm. to help bridge that by praying. And yeah. um, we've been meeting for prayer on Zoom pretty much every day at noon. And we've been praying within MCs and on group me's and by texts. And we need to keep doing that. We need to lean into it. That's one of the beautiful things about this, this time of uh, weakness that isn't really weakness. It's not weakness regarding our prayer lives. I've been yeah. praying more than I've prayed in I don't know how yeah. long. And mm -hmm. that's power. Yeah. That's exciting. Yeah, absolutely. Hmm. That's, that's good stuff. So let that be an encouragement, friends, uh, to all those listening in uh, to, to not grow weary in doing good, to not grow weary in being a participant in God's kingdom, because you can and you are. Uh, so, so experience the good news of that this week and, uh, and keep leaning in to the fact that uh, we are people of a good and loving king whose kingdom knows no boundaries and lasts forever. So live like Amen. it this week. All right. Amen. Thanks everybody. Thanks y'all. Talk to you next time. Great. Bye-bye.